Welcome back to Small Business Big Lessons, a Buffer original series. My name is Haley. I work at Buffer. And in this series, we are sharing business stories like you've never heard before. We're interviewing some truly unique, incredible, inspirational entrepreneurs and small business owners with stories from them showing their success, showing how they're doing good along the way. And then we're going to break down what's working for them and what we can learn. In this episode, we're going to be looking at intentionally staying small. Everyone who starts a small business wants it to be successful, right? Traditional business thinking would have us believe that as your business becomes more and more busy, you must capitalize on that success and grow in order to meet demand, make more money, and expand your reach. But does success always have to equal growth? And how do you even define growth? More employees, more customers, more money? What about greater job satisfaction, deeper connections, more free time? We know one thing for sure, and that's that every small business owner should want to reach their full potential and achieve their vision, even if that vision means staying small. As businesses get bigger, they will inevitably change what they do and how they do it. So what if the whole reason you want to start your business in the first place is inherently tied to being a small business? How do you get better at staying small? And how do you keep sustainably small? In this episode, we're telling you stories of when businesses decide they're big enough and that they can more effectively achieve their goals by staying small. So what's the attraction with small businesses? Why do some founders dread the idea of having huge companies with lots of employees and love the idea of small-scale, manageable operations? Holly has some ideas. I'm going to guess that it has to do with intimacy. You know, when you intentionally stay small, you can have really meaningful connections with everybody on the team or in the company. And when you start to scale, that's just, it's impossible for everybody to know everybody within the company and have really intimate connections. So I think that is one part of it. I think the other part might just be this like creative adaptability that you really have when you are smaller versus when you've scaled to a certain size. And that you know, creative adaptability is something that a lot of entrepreneurs are very passionate about that really inspires them. And so they want to hold on to that experience. As we saw in our first episode of this season about building and investing in your community, every small business is unique in a lot of ways. And that idea of a distinct personality is part of the appeal of running your business at a smaller scale. Every small business owner has a unique take on what it means to stay small and the reasons why they choose that path over endless growth. Andrea tells us what staying small means to Harlow. At this point, staying small for us really means not getting into this growth at all costs mindset. And I think Samantha and I want to be really deliberate about how we're building the company. And part of that as we talked about earlier, is about building our community first and engaging with our community first. And it's about building a sustainable and profitable business that is fun for us to work in and fun for our employees as well. There's this great quote in this book called Rework, and it's small isn't a stepping stone, small is a great destination in itself. We truly believe there's a beauty in small business. Just the statistics of it, small businesses are the biggest employers in the country. It's amazing to be part of the small business community, not having to think, okay, yeah, we have to to have an impact. You have to 
build a large company. It's like, no, you can have a great impact being a small company. Rand at SparkToro has a deep dedication to staying small. His outlook on this topic isn't just about what's best for him as a founder and CEO or what's best for his particular business. Actually, his perspective goes much further into what's best for the economy, for consumers, and what's even best for democracy. A big part of our passion around this comes from our broader beliefs about sustainability and economic justice, which I know sounds a little big picture, but basically what we believe is that economies work really well, democracy works really well, capitalism works really well when there's lots of small and medium businesses, lots of competition in a sector, that competition is fair and equitable, there's lots of distribution of resources, and these things work terribly when a few people have all the money, a few big monopolies have all the power. And so we're not just trying to keep SparkToro small and profitable for our own sake, although we do have incentives there. The, the way we've funded our business, in fact, incentivizes us to stay profitable long term. Our investors get dividends. They don't just make money if we you know, sell for a billion dollars or whatever. But also, we think we think there's something beautiful and exciting about paving a road where capitalism and democracy itself can work in a functional environment. You know, can we make a difference here? Can one tiny company make a difference? I don't know. I don't know. But feels wrong to just throw in the towel and not try. By staying small, Rand hopes to have an impact on some of the big challenges of our time. Samantha at Harlow also believes that staying small doesn't necessarily mean having a small impact or a small customer base. I think the thing that gets lost sometimes when we talk about staying small is it's not that we want the company to stay small. Like We want more and more users to join Harlow and experience the power of Harlow and the simplicity of Harlow and, you know, we want Harlow to help as many freelancers as possible, you know, gain more confidence and manage their business more effectively. But again, we want to do so in a way that feels good for us. It feels good for them. You know, we want to build, a, like Andrea said, a profitable and sustainable business and one that doesn't burn us out. You know, we are we are in this for the next five, 10 years, right? Like we are in the infancy stages of what we're building. And so again, we just want to be so intentional with the way that we're going about it. Becky and Hugh set out from the start to keep their business small. For Painter, staying small is an ambition, a target to hit in and of itself. There's a real perception in the media that growth is the answer, that growth is the right thing to do. And of course, we want Painter to be a successful business and sustainable in that it lasts a long time. But that doesn't mean that it has to keep growing every single year. Separately, growing up, we both really wanted to start a business, but we both wanted to start a business that was small. We never had the idea of, well, we want hundreds of employees. We want to uh, have offices all over the world. It was, we always had the ambition to be small. Part of the appeal of staying small for Becky and Hugh is that it allows them both to be involved in all aspects of their business. This means that their personality is in every detail of Painter, from the jackets themselves to the way they interact with customers. We're both really detail-oriented, and on a daily basis, we could go from working on a product design, testing a product, how can we make it better, to talking with customers about feedback, or planning the year, or planning a shoot. And we just get 
really excited that we have a whole variety of things that makes up our day and we're completely in charge of our own learning and completely in charge of what the future of painter looks like and I think if we were in management positions and we had tiers of employees below us obviously that would really float some people's boats but it doesn't float ours and I don't think we did get the same satisfaction coming to work every day. We know ourselves pretty well at this point and we know what we enjoy about Painter. So if we know that now, we don't want to be striving to make it something that we don't enjoy. We'd actually really rather keep it exactly as it is and to talk to people about how great running a small business can be. When it comes to business size, small businesses tend to try and do their best to look big and big businesses do their best to look small. It's very rare that you'd see a business acting its size. This is a great observation by Hugh about how businesses of different sizes project themselves to the public. It speaks in part to the way that some larger businesses want to appear more approachable and independent, and also to the way that some smaller businesses aspire to project their own idea of success in a kind of fake-it-till-you-make-it move. But in doing this, a business can lose out on communicating what makes them uniquely great. The outcomes of creatively overcoming your limitations as a small business can become the exact thing that makes you stand out. We're drawn to independent businesses because we're drawn to people. And if you're suddenly kind of detaching your business from who you are, you're probably going to lose your voice before you even figure out what it is. We have a photo shoot coming up. And when we're planning this shoot, we have to think about who's going to model, where are we going to take those photos, what exactly are those people doing in those photos, how will they pose, how will they stand, what are they wearing, what are the other things they're wearing it with, who's going to iron them before, what are we all eating, <laughs> where are we going to stay, how are we going to get there. Whereas a big company, you might say, okay, we've got this collection coming up, let's go find that stylist to work with. We'll have this movement director on set who makes everyone feel really comfortable. And you can come out at the other end as a big company with a really, really slick shoot and everything looks great. But kind of because it's so good, it can almost just get lost. You can, you'll just flick past it. If you're thinking of where you see that on Instagram as a consumer, you'll just keep next, next, because you kind of feel like you've seen it before, even if actually the results are fantastic. Whereas if you're a small business and you don't have any of that stuff, you have to just figure out what you have. It might mean that if there's a storm and your location is a beach, then your umbrella's upside down and things look a bit chaotic and you're probably going to stop and look at that picture a lot more than you would with something that looks kind of perfect. Because you're not trying to look big and like really, really sleek, the irregularities and the fun that you're having like shows through and you probably end up coming out with a better product. There's an artist called Tom Sachs and he has a great saying because he's a sculptor that makes really rough sculptures, often with plywood. And I think that's one of the most beautiful things in the world. And he absolutely loves Apple. Like the iPhone is like one of the most perfect things ever designed, but you can't tell a human made it. And he says that Apple would never make anything as crappy as one of my sculptures because they can't. But in my sculptures, you can see the human hand has been involved in this. And that's what makes his work so honest. If we have a perfect image, we'd rather put it alongside a behind the scenes image just to show people like this is a small brand. We are very human. And every time we communicate, we try to be as human as possible. You can kind of see why small businesses try to act big because it is like sometimes slightly riskier buying from a small business, especially if like for us, everything's made to order. Where with a big business, you could have it the next day. We really want to act our size. We want to be a small business, be proud of it, and actually be very transparent. Like, yeah, we are a two and a half person team. 
and look what we can achieve as a two and a half person team. That half person, by the way, is called Hester and she's incredible. She's our first part-time employee. Hiring is one of the primary pain points faced by small businesses who are intentionally staying small. If you're a successful small business, it's almost inevitable that you'll reach a point where you can't do everything yourself, at which point you'll either need to automate or to scale back or figure out the best approach to bringing on more people to help. Successfully navigating this requires careful thought and consideration. Hester helps with customer service. Um, she also helps us with all sorts of ad hoc logistics, whether that's getting packaging organized or ordering studio supplies, like studio assistant duties, as well as like packing jackets with us and um, providing great vibes around the office. <laughs> We have one employee right now, and then we have a host of freelancers and agencies that we work with as well. So total, there's probably 15 people that we work with on a pretty regular basis. As soon as we hired that first employee, we put together our company policy stock, right? And we said, okay, here's what we're building, and here's how we're building it, and here's what that looks like. Does that sound like a conducive environment to the way that you work and the way that you want to live your life? If it does, great, come and join us. If you need you know, more structure than that, or if this doesn't work for you, or if like remote first doesn't work for you, that's okay. Because again, a lot of people work differently, but this is what we're building. So, you know, we, from the very beginning, we're like, we need to maintain this alignment and make sure that it is documented and that we reflect back on it regularly. And this reflection is key. As your business grows, it can become harder and harder to find the headspace for evaluating whether or not you're on the right path and whether the kind of growth you're achieving and the pace of that growth is serving you and your business. When you grow your business, I think what we're trying to do is grow it and feel the place that we feel is the sweet spot of the business where, okay, at this size of team and as like releases or products we're releasing, this feels just about right for this this company. I don't think every company should be a big company. Every company should be a small company. Some people are trying to grow big companies in a short amount of time. And they, they're not growing any foundation on that. It's just like, I don't know, you see lots of companies that grow really, really fast. And like three years later, you don't hear them of them again. It's like, we're trying to find out where our sweet spot is. The word authentic comes to mind. I think when you stay small and stay thoughtful, you can be more authentic and more in touch with the audience that you're serving. It's not all smooth sailing when you're committed to staying small. While being present across every aspect of your business can be rewarding, it can also be incredibly stressful. It puts pressure on your time and it leaves you without much space for other things in your life. I guess we found one of the challenges of staying small, it's very hard to get away from the business because we're responsible for everything. The simplest thing, going on a honeymoon, we didn't even think that would be possible. We made sure, like, we're not going to hire anybody until it hurts, until, like, we really need somebody. And we realize, actually, um, we can't even go on holiday. So, actually, we need somebody to come in. And only when it got to that point that we thought, okay, we need help. And I guess that's one of the challenges of staying so small, like a micro, is that sometimes it can get a bit much, that you have a bit too much work to do and you realize, actually, you do need help. 
challenge is knowing where to focus. In the beginning, it's all about just constantly grafting. You're so hard on everything all at the same time so that you can just get your brand out there and your product developed and everything like out for the first time. And then the challenges become about working all hours to actually deliver what you've promised and you're kind of grappling with the logistics and the operations and understanding for the first time what it actually takes to run your business when it's going. And then it becomes, once you've got a handle of that, and obviously you're dealing with things that pop up all the time that are unexpected, then it becomes about knowing where to focus because hopefully if things are running well, you still need to push all of those areas forward all the time. I think that can be quite overwhelming at times because you're just, you're so aware of every single area that needs focus and thought and development and maybe expertise beyond you, but maybe just your time and your focus to sit down with something and so that kind of challenge of keeping everything in your mind and knowing what to do each day <laughs> but overall like, it is actually such a privilege to have those things those issues constantly to work on and it wouldn't change it for the world and it's not just figuring out the best ways for you to operate internally as a small business relationships with suppliers can also be a challenge but if, like Painter, you can focus on the strengths of being a small business, you can overcome these challenges and even transform them into something positive. When you're starting out, especially in, if you're making anything physical, going to a factory at a small business is quite a big hurdle. Because if you're a big brand going to a factory, they would welcome you with open arms and because you're giving them big quantities and probably very often but as a smaller brand and doing things very infrequently you're already on the back foot when you go there so you have to work a lot harder to build their trust and then there's the whole thing of are you making a smaller quantity so things will cost more to make what started as a challenge to get into a factory and to prove that you are going to place an order and you will follow through and you will pay early and you will keep reordering after long enough of doing that, when the proof is there and they do trust you, that's when it then turns into something really special. And actually, our factories have told us they are small businesses too. And actually, they would much rather work with five or six small businesses of our size, putting in similar sized orders at the same kind of frequency, rather than one absolutely massive company who's constantly ordering from them. Because as soon as that larger company changes their mind, they've lost 100% of their production. So if one of us five or six companies that they work with doesn't order from them again it's only a fifth of their business and they've got other people that they can work with so it's also like a risk thing as well thoughtfully staying small can be harder to do in certain sectors and industries spark toro operates in the tech startup world a business culture that is traditionally built upon scaling quickly and at all costs to push back against that norm and focus on long-term sustainability, Rand has put a lot of thought into how he can operate successfully in that space, but run his business in a fundamentally different way, and in turn, inspire other entrepreneurs that aren't attracted to traditional growth models. Our focus is not on blitz scaling growth at all costs. So we have a very different model than what most venture-backed startups try to do. Uh, which is grow very fast or, or even grow very big. Uh, our goal is to be profitable for a very long time, to exist for a long time and help our customers uh, to be a great business to work for and to work at, and to present a different model, an alternative option for founders who are seeking something that's not the classic venture-backed 
high growth unicorn chasing style startup? I think finding your sweet spot definitely isn't just about the obvious, which would be how much would you like to make in a year or how many things would you like to sell in a year? I think it would be a mistake to think about it like that because it's actually also about the customer service. It's about thinking about your suppliers. What size are they? What can they manufacture to a really good quality? What's enough for them to hit their minimums? What would also be too much for them? And then suddenly, if you outgrow your factory, then you become a very small fish in a very big pond. And maybe you can't visit and have the close relationships that you have with your factory. And we're really lucky to work with some incredible suppliers. And so we would rather keep working with them, keep creating orders that are the right size for them to manufacture at a really, really high standard and grow together. Here's more from Holly. When I start with clients, I always ask them to define what the word growth means to them because growth doesn't have to mean like scaling or, you know, opening across every city in the country. So growth can really be about an evolution, a regeneration. And oftentimes when they think about what growth means to them, it does mean this smaller organization. You know, I have some people define it as I don't want to be bigger than 20 people on a team or, I don't want to have more than, you know, 50 wholesale accounts or something like that. Like they might have key metrics, but it really starts by defining what growth means to them and not just taking the broad definition of growth and thinking that they have to become that certain thing. So what are some examples of the kinds of things our small businesses are doing that they just wouldn't be able to do if they were to become bigger companies? The benefits of having a small business and being small is that you can be weird. You can do things that big brands wouldn't do. They're too scared to do because they have to go through multiple layers of management where because we're small, we can do things immediately. One thing that we're able to do right now is Samantha and I host regular one-on-one sessions with freelancers. 15 minutes to help them anything they need help with in their freelance business, whether it's specific to Harlow or not, just trying to provide some some valuable advice and feedback for them. That one-on-one approach obviously doesn't scale very well, but it's something that we can do now um, and that we're so excited and happy to do. We can learn quickly and we can fail fast and we can try a lot of things. Um, and so like there's there's one side of us where we like we want to stay very focused. Obviously, we have limited resources, we have limited time. But on the other side of that, if we want to just test something out, like Andrea mentioned our 15 minute one on one Q&As with freelancers, that was just an idea. We're like, hey, this is a thing that might be interesting. And I was like, OK, well, I'm just going to tweet about it and see if anybody joins us. And if people join, then great, we'll set up the structure and we'll create a Slack room and we'll create a process around it and people raise their hands. And so we did it and now we've expanded on it. And, you know, it would be a lot harder to launch a program like that at a larger organization when you have to, you know, go through the hierarchy and figure out where it fits on the priority list and, you know, all of these things. And so it is wonderful that we can just test something out like that. I can, on a spur of moment, just tweet about something and then we can build a program around it, right? Some of the things that SparkToro does as a small company serves to set them apart from other businesses in their field. Sometimes small can be a superpower. That means you have something to offer customers that larger companies simply can't. SparkToro really leans into this and uses it as a selling point. There's a lot of things that would change if SparkToro were more growth focused. Things like our team size. There's only three of us at the company, just myself, Casey, and Amanda. 
and we can afford to do that because we don't have to pursue every growth opportunity. We're, we're not trying to grow as fast as possible. We're trying to grow sustainably and be profitable. And so we can keep our team really tiny and just do the most important things rather than trying to do everything. We also have this approach to work that we call chill work, right? Where essentially we're, we're optimizing for none of the three of us needing to do more than 25 or 30 hours of work in a week. That's not to say we don't sometimes do more. We do. Sometimes I put in 40. Every once in a while, it's like even 50 or 60, you know, on a crazy week. But a lot of weeks, it's 15 or 20. I uh, spent almost a month in Italy in uh, the spring, and I was barely putting in two hours a day, right? It was beautiful. I mean, you know, running a company that's, you know, got a million plus dollar ARR run rate and growing nicely and still managing to, you know, work very, very few hours, essentially just answering some support requests and putting out an occasional blog post or video and keeping on top of my email. And, and that does the trick. We choose not to be particularly aggressive about trying to hold on to customers. So, you know, in a classic SaaS business, subscription business, there's a lot of what I call UX dark patterns and sort of marketing tips and tricks that you can use to make sure people don't leave the subscription, right? You make the cancel button harder to find, or you have to call to cancel, or um, when you do the cancellation, you know, it does like all these things to try and save you. Uh, we, you know, it looks at uh, low usage rates and tries to reach out to people and sort of get more folks on board. And we don't do any of that stuff. In fact, we do the opposite. We send an email three days before you get billed that says, hey, if you're not using the product, now's a great time to cancel. Save yourself, you know, 50 bucks or whatever. <laughs> and a lot of people do cancel. We have a high cancellation rate as a result. But we also have a very high recidivism rate. People come back to the product again and again. We've had folks who signed up for SparkToro and quit five, six times, and we've only been around two years. We wouldn't be able to do those kinds of things if we were pursuing growth at all costs. Being a small business is not a reason to buy in itself. I think it's actually just a bonus. If you had two products alongside each other, one was from a small business, one was from a large business. And other than that, everything was the same, like the product quality, the service, everything. Then everyone would go for the small business because there's inherent things that you connect with or that you imagine are an added value when you're buying from a small business. There's the people behind it. There's probably the place that that business is associated with as well, especially if it's a physical business. There's also a massive element of trust because you're probably buying from people who, if they didn't make the decision themselves, then they're one person away from the person that made that decision. I think there's also about being small. You're automatically the underdog. So you can quite quickly have a strong point of view, a stake in the sand where you're like, we are the David in this David feeds Goliath story. And people want to back that person. We compare ourselves to the fast fashion industry and all the waste problems that goes on in that industry and like how it's not very good for the environment. So like we do use that, like we're small, so we can try new things, we're more agile. It's more like when you buy from a small business, it's more of an encouragement to like keep going, keep going, keep going. Because like with a big business, you're like, ah, they're fine. You can't see the effect of your purchase. But with a small business, every person that buys one of our jacket literally puts the food on our table. And it's nice to be able to show gratitude for that. And we don't take it for granted either.
Although staying small comes with its own challenges, if managed well and carefully thought out, it can mean a better working life for you as a founder and for your team. Staying small can also give you more control over the things that matter in your business and can provide inspiration when thinking about how to creatively work around limitations, which ultimately leads to your business becoming truly your business. With seemingly infinite companies vying for customers, intentionally staying small and leaning into what makes you unique can lead you to develop a distinct personality as a business and set you apart in a crowded space. It can also give you more purpose and meaning as a founder through more direct connections with customers and suppliers. In the next episode, we're going to be building on what we've just heard. We'll be looking at growing your business and what growth looks like for a small business staying true to its purpose. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of Small Business Big Lessons, a Buffer original series. We are loving bringing you these stories from these incredible entrepreneurs, and there is much more to come. I hope to see you in the next episode. And if you haven't yet, join our community at buffer.com slash community. I would love to see you there. There's lots of great stuff on the go. Thank you for listening, and I will see you in the next episode. This episode of Small Business Big Lessons was written and produced by Rowan Bishop at Message Heard. Script edited by me, Haley Griffiths at Buffer, and interviews were conducted by Umber Bhatti at Buffer. Be sure to subscribe to Small Business Big Lessons on your preferred podcast platform to keep up with the latest episodes. And if you've enjoyed this episode, please feel free to leave us a review.